While we get the next presentation up, I'll try and introduce Mario to you. So uh, Mario completed his Bachelor of Business Science, Actuarial Science, um, in 2012, and his Master's in Maths of Finance in 2013. And in July this year, he submitted his, his PhD. He maintains strong ties with his actuarial science background. He's lectured undergraduate um, actuarial science courses from 2014 to date and continues to tutor and mentor um, for the South African Actuarial Development Program. His interests outside of, of sort of maths and modeling are swimming, bird watching, and exploring new and exciting places. And um, yeah, many of you will remember Mario from last year, so it's good to have you back again. Thanks for coming. All right, now thanks, Judy, for inviting us from African Institute for Financial Markets and Risk Management to present yet again at ASSA's ERM seminar. Um, so today I'm going to be presenting to you some of my PhD research that I have just completed. I submitted my PhD two months ago, so please don't tell me that there are any errors in this work because then that means there are going to be further errors when it comes back from the markers at a later stage of affairs and we want to try and avoid, avoid that from happening. So what, I'm glad that the topic of fat tails was brought up by Media in the panel discussion earlier because this is... Um, a topic that I'm going to be addressing in the work that I'm going to be presenting to you today. So what I'm going to look at is I'm going to look at something called stable process weak approximation at work in ruin probability theory calculations. And this is more from uh, a more textbook perspective, as I'm not a practitioner yet. So I'm going to be presenting it more from an academic perspective. So this is joint work with my supervisor, Krzysztof Bonetsky, who's in Poland, and myself. And the idea that I have in mind, just to give you a taste of what we're going to be doing, is I'm sure most of you remember, or probably work with them even nowadays, are ruined probabilities and the issue as to how one actually approximates those ruined probabilities or calculates or get it, gets a numerical value for those guys. I'm going to show you one neat way to perhaps, one neat and quick way to do so. And then extend that concept to looking at loss exceedance probabilities. So just to give you some context, um, well this is going to take some time. This is just myself and my supervisor there, just so that you can see um, the two researchers who were involved in this paper. And this was taken over in Poland, and I cannot for the love of money pronounce um, a lot of these Polish words of this location that we were at. So to give you an outline of the talk on what I'm going to be looking at today is... Um, so this, uh, the presentation, I think, is going to be a little bit more difficult to handle because in PDF I'll be able to swap quite easily, but here I have to sort of you know, jump between various slides. I'm going to start off by looking at the basics. Okay, so what is an aggregate loss process and how we can formulate that as a specific compound renewal process. And then I'm going to move on to sort of discussing how that is encapsulated within the traditional ruin theory model that's been sort of looked in insurance for, looked in the ambit of insurance for a number of years. Then I'm going to introduce to you the, the, the framework that we're going to use to, to approximate those particular probabilities and show you how we're going to approximate them by invoking something called stable weak approximation to a particular kind of random variable. And then finally I'm going to end off with our particular contribution which was is how can we use all of the above three here to estimate loss exceedance probabilities and where do those perhaps come up in insurance and practice today. Right, so to, to begin, we can start off with um, just defining what we have in mind by this idea of an aggregate loss process. 
So an aggregate loss process is a concept that comes up quite commonly in insurance mathematics and has two key components, a frequency component and a severity component. So the frequency component is typically governed by a renewal process, okay, which governs the times at which these losses will occur. So I think most commonly it's that, that sort of looked at as a Poisson process. Okay? And we just point out that we assume that those times okay, have a finite mean as well as a finite variance. Alright, but where we sort of deviate from the traditional literature a little bit is we assume that our losses, okay, are independent and identity distributed and the loss just the distribution that each of those losses come from has only a finite expectation, but it can have sort of higher infinite moments and this is where we allow for the so-called heavy-tailed or fat-tailed, so thick-tailed distributions, so thick-tailed losses, which is something that commonly um, affects insurers, in particular insurers operating with the ambits of catastrophe modeling which is where we actually applied this particular work at a later stage of affairs, but I'm not going to discuss that in the presentation. So now that we've got those two particular components, our aggregate loss process can take on the form of that random sum. That's just that the total losses that are incurred as a random number of the individual losses summed up. All right, so that is in fact a random variable. And the difficulty comes in is that this guy here doesn't have an explicit closed form sort of... It doesn't have a closed form formulation for its particular distribution. In particular, these losses have some kind of heavy tail distribution, such as a Burr distribution, a generalized burrito, or a log, I mean, even a log normal distribution per se. That random sum does not have a distribution itself. However, if you assume those losses were exponential, then the sum of those, you know, would again, you know, you'd be able to find the distributional form similarly for the gamma, for, for gamma distributions. But those, unfortunately, are a little bit too light-tailed for our, applica our applications. Okay, and then just to contextualize what we have in mind for the losses, okay, is that the losses can be actual claims against the insurer, which is where the traditional um, room theory model comes in, or alternatively, they can also be viewed as monetary losses from events such as natural catastrophes, and that speaks to the two broad aims that we have for this particular work. So, now that we've got the basic idea for the aggregate loss process in mind, let us now just um, specify what we mean by this classical room theory model. So, there are three key components for simple room theory related risk process. So, what we're interested in doing here is we're interested in just taking a basic view on what the cash flows are that affect an insurer as and when time proceeds. So, we have the aggregate loss process from before that represents the claims. We assume that the insurer, very simplistically, sets up an initial risk reserve, okay, which we denote as a finite amount U. And then obviously over time we assume that they receive a continuously payable um, gross risk premium of C, again a constant value, per unit time. And therefore that culminates in the risk process taking this follow the form over here. So that's the initial risk reserve plus the claims minus the losses. Okay, so those are the cash flows that are affecting the insurer as and when time goes by. And what is key and what is of interest is we are interested in looking at the first time that these cash flows go below zero. Because that, in a simplistic way, can be viewed as insolvency or ruin. And we're in particular interested in it in finite time. And that we're often interested in estimating probabilities of this forecast the first time when ruin actually occurs. Okay, so what is the probability that this random variable here is less than some 
constant t. So we want to know what is that probability. And it turns out, because this guy here has such a complicated form, that we can't really find an exact closed form expression for this. So therefore it's of interest to try and get an approximation. I mean, of course you can resort to some kind of classical Monte Carlo simulation whereby you can just simulate an empirical distribution and find an empirical um, probability from that. But that is, it, it is quite a time-consuming exercise and it's, it's, um, it needs quite a bit of computational power to do so. So it's quite difficult to do it in Excel, although I have implemented it in MATLAB before. So the question now is, is how are we going to somehow approximate this probability gap? And the basic idea is that we're going to approximate this process here by some other process that behaves in a similar way. So let's introduce the tools that we're going to use to do that. So the first tool that we're going to have is something called a stable distribution. And now I know that this definition looks frightfully horrific the minute you take a look at it over there. But bear in mind you have all met a particular special case of stable distribution before. And I'll tell you what it is for us now. But there are a number of ways to define a stable distribution, but I like to take it in the form of its characteristic functions. Every distribution has a special um, as the feature associated with it called a characteristic function. And the reason why I present it to you in the form of a characteristic function is because it gives you the explicit dependency on the parameters. So a stable distribution, okay, the distribution that has four parameters, so alpha being your index of stability, this alpha here tells you how heavy tailed that distribution is. So if alpha is between one and two, that means your um, the mean and there's the um, both, sorry, just the, the mean of the distribution exists while the variance is infinite, so it is a heavy tail distribution. But if alpha is less than one, then the distribution does not have a finite mean nor a finite variance. So that can be a very heavy tail distribution that you work in with there. Okay, beta is your skewed parameter, sigma is your scale parameter, and u is your location parameter. Okay, and the characteristic function takes on this rather intricate and interesting form over there. But the reason why I now sketch the various PDFs of various examples of stable distributions that have come up, but the reason why I sketch them is because one of the distributions you've clearly met, and that is in precisely the normal distribution. So when alpha is equal to 2, we end up getting it's the, um, it's the green line over here, which is just the normal distribution. When alpha is equal to, sorry, not the green line, it's the, uh, it's the black line. So when alpha is equal to 2 and the rest of the parameters are 0, 1, and 0, we end up getting the normal distribution. And in particular, there are only two other distributions that actually have an explicit closed form for the probability density function that are stable. And those are the Levy, the, the, the Levy distribution as well as the, um, Cauchy, the Cauchy distribution. So we can see the Cauchy in green here, and then the Levy distribution is a purple line over here, which takes in a positive support only. So it's a very broad class of distributions, in particular suited to modeling heavy-tailed events. So now that we've introduced the distribution, is there an associated motion, okay, or process in time with this type of distribution? Just like, you know, the normal distribution's associated motion, okay, in continuous time, is standard Brownian motion. And it turns out there is. And this is what we're going to use. And it's something called alpha-stable Levy motion. And as you can see, for those of you who know the various postulates for a Brownian motion, the postulates for defining alpha-stable Levy motion are indeed quite similar. So we said that a stochastic process is called an alpha-stable Levy motion if it starts at zero, if the increments are independent over time, and specifically and especially if those instrument increments possess a stable distribution. 
the case, as opposed to what driving motion would assume that increments possess a normal distribution. And in particular, if alpha equals to 2, um, we recover standard Brownian motion directly from this definition here. But now the reason why I present to you the graphs is from simulated parts of this particular motion to show you, is to show you how this process differs, that okay, looks different over time, okay, compared to Brownian motion. And what you can clearly see is the existence of these jumps okay, over time. And that's conferred by the fact that the, dis the underlying distributions can often be quite heavy-tailed in nature. And immediately now, I think what becomes obvious is that if you can think about the um, probably a, tra a trajectory or a sample path of perhaps a compound renewal process or maybe even a compound Poisson process, which is almost like a step function, you can see that this, it can, that step function can almost be approximated by the behavior of this particular motion here. So that's going to be the basic idea behind our work, is to approximate the behavior of that random sum by this continuous process here. Okay, and then you use known results, okay, from the theory of alpha stable levy motion to approximate those tail probabilities that we're interested in, such as ruin probabilities and loss exceeded probability. So just to give you some context is that there are known results, okay, for probability tail approximations that can close to form known results, in fact, for, um, for tail probability um, approximations for alpha stable levy motions, and it's those which we use in order to... Um, um, in order to, to do the approximations that we wish to do in this research. So, this is all treated under the subject called um, weak convergence of your um, aggregate loss process to alpha stable levy motion. So, I'm not going to go through the details, okay, so just to tell you how we can um, approximate and then introduce the basic idea is in order for the approximation to work, we just need to make the following assumption as what happens with a lot of mathematical theories and a lot of modeling, a lot of models that we build is we assume that our losses, okay, so our severity components of the exit loss process belong to something called the domain of attraction of an alpha-stable distribution. Okay, so what that basically means is that the standardized normalized, sorry, the, the, the standardized finite sums, okay, of these severity components here converge in distribution to an alpha-stable, no, no, sorry, not to an alpha-stable, to a stable distribution Okay, for each and every, for, uh, sorry, as, as, your num as the number of these guys tends to infinity. But fortunately, it turns out that for most heavy tail distributions that we work with, in particular in the ambit of insurance, so it's Pareto, generalized decree values, and Burr distribution, it turns out that these guys are, all belong to the domain of attraction of an alpha stable of emotion. So it's, this, this condition is automatically satisfied. Okay, so. Even I think even log normal works. So after we once you get a page, so I know this is blurry and I've blurred it out on purpose, is once you get a page of mathematics like this, okay, you manage to sort of get the idea or to show that what we can do is we can somehow approximate the behavior of our aggregate loss process by the behavior of the alpha stable Levy motion. So if we can approximate the behavior, we have two processes that behave more or less in the same way. So and then if, if, um, so if this, um, what happens is because both processes, well, because the, yeah, because both processes are, are continuous, um, you can just approximate the probabilities. Um, you can just, you can just calculate, uh, sorry, approximate the behavior, the probabilities based on one process by using the probabilities um, be, um, based on the other process. And that is the idea. 
So just that you can approximate the behavior of the exit loss process by the behavior of the alpha-stable process there. So now we're in a position to present our theorems as to how we can approximate these room probabilities, which was the ultimate goal of our research. So this was done, the first one, um, which would apply to room theory, so the probability that the, the, the cash flows of the insurer go below zero within a certain finite time period. This was actually done in a paper by um, someone who actually worked with some other research in Poland by Krishnan back in 1997. So if we have that our random, so our severity components of the distribution x1, x2, each having a finite mean, mu, and the index of stability belonging 1 to 2, assumed to belong to the domain of attraction of an alpha stable in motion, then we can approximate the root probability by this quantity over here. I've used the sim symbol here uh, because, strictly speaking, what is the limit of this guy divided by that guy as u to infinity is equal to 1. Uh, but however, it's a gauge just take this to be the approximation of that guy there. So what we've got is we've actually got a closed form expression for the approximation of this room probability here, okay. which we actually have shown well, which they showed is quite accurate compared to sort of standard Monte Carlo simulation procedures that um, typically are used. Okay, so it's almost, it can be viewed as an alternative basically to the central limit theorem, but what is perhaps more useful here is that for the central limit theorem to hold, okay, you need to have that each one of these guys is a finite mean and variance, however within the context that we've done here, we just need we just have to have that these guys have a finite mean. So it's more applicable to the case of heavy tail distributional model, sorry, distribution modeling. Okay, then there's some dependence on certain parameters there, alpha and beta. So you might be wondering where on earth those come from. So for most distributions, okay, we can use another result called the generalized central limit theorem um, to find those associated values of alpha and beta. So each distributional form for the severity component has an associated alpha and beta, which you can just plug into the right hand side of the expression to there. And then as I said before, is that the usefulness of the following result uh, um, comes into the fact that you don't need to assume that the severity components have a finite variance, they can have an infinite variance in fact, which is what makes this work quite useful, in particular in the ambit of heavy tail loss modeling. Alright, so that was the first result that I aimed to show you, which I thought would be quite useful to show. But now I thought, let me just um, give you some detail on what the contribution that myself and my supervisor made. So we, we then looked at a particular case of the ruined process. So we thought, what happens if we wish to calculate or estimate quantities such as the probability that the loss, okay, so for example, what is the probability that your total losses in a particular insurance portfolio exceed you know, 250 million rand, you know, over a fixed period of time. So those are the kind of quantities that we are that we're interested in. And I mean, this can easily arise in sort of the insurance contract pricing, in particular excess of loss contract. And then our application, and we are sort of spoke about last year quite a bit, was in the ambit of catastrophe bond pricing, which is not something that's really treated often in South Africa. But nonetheless, it's an interesting academic exercise to look into. Okay, and then what I do remark on in the very last point that's shaded out there, is that this whole exercise, what we're doing here, is equivalent to setting C and U to, uh, equal to zero in the formulation for the risk process, okay, um, for, um, within the room theory model. However, there were some slight technicalities that needed to be taken care of 
Okay, so it wasn't just simply the case of putting C and U to be zero in the results from before. There were um, a number of other factors that had to be sort of taken into account in crafting the theorem in particular. We had to put some bounds on what we defined to be D. And then we end up with the following proposition, which allows us to estimate those loss exceedance probabilities. So again, if we have our renewal process from before, for example, a Poisson process, okay, and we suppose that each of the XKs, okay, have an associated alpha between one and two, implying again that they only have a finite mean and they have an infinite variance and infinite higher order moments, then one of the constraints that we need to impose is that we need to assume that D takes on the following form here. Okay, where M is the element of real numbers. And it turns out for all positive D, you can actually compose it into this form here. Okay, because M is a free parameter. You can choose it, you know, as you please. All right. Then what, so what we have for a positive constant T is we have that we can approximate that particular property, loss exceedance probability by a closed form expression similar to what we had in the room theory case. Okay, so we can actually approximate those directly. You know, you can almost just plug that straight into a calculator. You don't need a simulator or a random number generator in order to, to do that. Okay. And then what I just noticed here is that there's a new parameter here for small d. And it's just a constant also that depends on the distributional form of the XKs, and that also can be found by invoking a particular general version of the central limit theorem called the generalized central limit theorem, which you can almost think of as a central limit theorem applying to random sums and not fixed sums. All right, so the cool feature of this result is we have a way to approximate that particular probability. And in our paper, we showed some numerical simulations and compared it to Monte Carlo simulation. And in fact, as, your, as this value M here gets bigger and bigger, the, it performs very accurately okay, compared to Monte, classical Monte Carlo simulation, which is quite useful because a lot of these loss exceedance probabilities are for very large threshold levels of D, which correspond to very large values of M. Okay, so it, it's shown to be quite accurate and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a neat result, in my opinion. All right, so those are the two sort of theorems that I wanted to just sort of show you today, which I just thought would have been useful for the purposes of this meeting. Um, and then I just have some conclusions to show here. So we can just conclude is that, again, just to reiterate, is that since your exact formulae, okay, for your loss exceedance probabilities and your ruin and your probabilities of ruin in finite time. So the exact formulae, they, you, you can't, um, in many cases, you can't find them unless you're working with exponentially distributed losses, which doesn't really come up in practice that often. Um, the use of approximations, and in particular analytical approximations, is quite useful. Okay, and then two benefits of our approximations is that they don't necessarily require that the renewal process is cross on, and they only require that the first moment of the x's of the underlying severity distributions is finite. But one of the problems that we did notice with the particular approximation, with the approximations that we have, is that, again, we're approximating probabilities. And there are certain cases, and it's still something that we're trying to get a handle on, and it's quite an interesting thing to look at, is there are certain cases where this guy exceeds one. Right. So probabilities typically, I mean, they've got to be sitting between zero and one, but there are cases where it can exceed one. So it's, again, it's something that has to be exercised with care. You know, you can't just plug into a machine and get a result. You actually have to interpret that figure and say, is this reasonable? All right. 
And yeah, so that was one of the, the particular downfalls of our approximation. But however, the accuracy was fairly good compared to Monte Carlo simulation and compared to one or two other approximations that actually exist in the literature. Yeah, and that's what I say in the last point. So, and then on that note, I think that's all that I had to present, that if you want, uh, the, the paper has been published. I can send details on that particular paper. But thank you for taking the time to listen to me today, and I hope that you found it interesting and that at least you know now the normal distribution is not as easy as it sometimes seems to be, given that it's a member of a much more complicated class of distributions out there. Thank you. I'll take any questions if anybody wants. I know that lunch is around the corner, so maybe that's got higher utility than asking me questions, but... Thank you. Very, uh, very interesting. Um, how much does uh, your results depend on the independence? Let's think about the losses, the IID assumption, the yes. independence. We are speaking about extreme events, and there might be knock-on and spillover effects. So we know it's not independent. How much mm. does it rely on that? I know mm. you're, it's a very standard assumption that you make, mm. but it will be interesting um, because we are talking about extreme events. Yeah. No, yes, Prof. Bayer, so that does make, that, that you do make a good point there. And, um, it does depend quite heavily on the independence. We are currently trying to work on a way to sort of get round the idea of not making them depend on independence. So you have to be very careful in terms of the process that you apply them to. So the context that we applied this um, last process to was to the case of um, sort of total cumulative losses from catastrophe. So each point in your time series represents a particular, sorry, the total loss coming from that catastrophe. So it can be assumed that certain catastrophes are independent over time, like earthquakes, hurricanes, wildfires, etc. The occurrence of all of those are independent. But we're interested in looking at the particular, um, at the particular total loss from that. But if, you mod if you're sort of looking at individual losses, then there's probably this approximation becomes even more of a crude approximation because those individual losses might not necessarily be independent. You could get claims clustering, you know, for example, within an insur insurance context. So that would be an, um, an improvement on the particular theory. And I believe that there is a way to actually still approximate um, your loss process by um, alpha stable levy motion if it's not independent, but we're still looking into that. So thanks for bringing that up. Any other questions? <coughs> Mario, I mean, I think it's very challenging in terms of, ter terms of the, the maths, but certainly some interesting applications in the reinsurance market. So thanks very much for coming back. Here you go. It's